Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I don't want to. Okay. You don't want to turn off the video. Just hit stop cam. See stop cam on the bottom? Yeah. Just hit stop cam. Okay. Okay, we're live. Hi, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on Today. I have a very special guest, somebody who I've been on his show. Many of my old shows with him are on my William Ramsey Investigates. His name is Visigoth, and I put up some of his shows. I was able to access his archive of 600 shows. I think he has 1,000 total, so it's not a comprehensive archive, but you can see them on any podcast distributor at the Visigoth Archives. So I have it in four volumes. The fourth volume I will put up today, and I broke them down into about 150 show segments. So there's four volumes, like I said. So the 150, the intent is to make it easier to scroll through them if you're interested. I mean, so many great guests and so many amazing people. Uh, Dave McGowan, Charlotte Izzerbite, really uh, Jim Mars, Alan Watt, who recently passed away. Uh, you've got stuff on... Columbine, Terry Mallinson, uh, Chris Knowles, who I just interviewed. So a lot of those people, you can go back and and, and look on that. And I've tried to just, I'm going to put maybe 10 to 15 of those shows on William Ramsey Investigate. So you might be able to check some of those out, some of what I considered uh, really important shows. But I reached out to, to Keith and uh, he was up for doing a show today. We're probably going to go about 40 minutes, but he wanted to talk about sports as social engineering. And I have something on YouTube that shows like a quote from Juvenile, give them bread and circuses and they will never revolt. And I think a lot of that entertainment, at least sports entertainment, there's a, that's a component of it. It's trying to kind of keep people distracted. So Visigoth, welcome back to William Ramsey Investigates. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, William. I am. Uh... I've been watching uh, a little more TV than I usually did. And uh, um, just something just struck me. It isn't a big aha perhaps, but because I, I guess because professional sports, especially you include collegiate, um, have become entertainment. Entertainment is always big bucks for uh, the media moguls. So uh, I, I just found that through the years that I've been watching, it's, it's a term been taken. And one, I think that's a little bit dark, but I go back to, I mean, the change is, is not necessarily bad. It's whether or not it's doable. For instance, um, I remember uh, Johnny, uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith were sprinters for uh, the United States uh, in this, I, I, I believe in the 66 medal games. And, um, they took the podium, one took first, one took second, but they put um, black gloves on their hands and they, and they raised their fists, you know, toward the sky. Right. There's a famous picture of them around, right? 
Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, and I looked at that. And, you know, I, I've changed a lot about my thoughts about patriotism and nationalism and such. And freedoms of expression and venues where you can uh, uh, ex exchange those ideas. But when I first saw it, I said, well, that sucks, you know, because Vietnam was going on. And, um, and I thought that was wholly un-American. But that sprang off a, um, a great deal of, um, I, I, there were riots, there were, there's no doubt about it, but there was a lot of discussion as well. And there was a polarization that took place without a doubt. And that was between, you know, black athletes and white athletes. Um, and, and, and through the years, that's kind of softened. Things forget. Things are forgotten, rather. People are uh, apt to uh, get real uh, ginned up about it and then kind of don't do anything. You start raising families, you know, and it's, that's a different thing. Right. But the next one that struck me was um, uh, Kaepernick and uh, his taking a kneel during the American, uh, the, the Pledge of America, well, she's playing, you know. Right. The American, uh, what is it? I was gonna say Pledge of Allegiance, but it's it's the American, you know, flag, whatever. Uh, sorry for that. But, um, and I looked at that and I was like, okay, what is that about? And I didn't even know he was black, to be honest with you. He's kind of light-skinned, though he's got a heck of an afro. But I thought about that and I said, well, what, what's the problem? And first it was um, racial minority. Um, and then it kind of started to, to widen out and widen out. I don't even know if, if he was responsible for it. But, but it was almost like I got the feeling that that no black, no black perps deserve being shot and every white cop who shot a black perp suspect was, was racist. Now, there's a lot of cases where there were, there's no doubt about that. But the way the media kind of went with it, um, it, was, it was looking like that's, there's only white bad guys who were cops and, and black, black people who um, were misunderstood, misunderstood or uh, handled um, more severely than they should have been. Right. But you know, the song, I always wondered why it was even involved in athletics. And I'm not taking a backseat out, you know, but it's like, I, I was always thinking, like when I was growing up and um, they wanted to play, what is it? You know, I can't think of the name of the song that's driving me nuts. What do they call a national anthem? There you go. Oh, oh yeah. got that. Got a got that unblocked. You know, when we were playing like first day of little league or first day of anything or first day of high school or a tournament or something like that, we play the national anthem, and then that's the last you heard of it. And and um, I remember thinking one time, we were playing a semi pro game in '75, and it was a gorgeous day. And I was playing center field and flagpole was in center. 
and the flag was blowing, you know, like, like it does on TV. Um, and I said to myself, you know, how fortunate I am to be here when it's only a twist of fate in the sense that I'm not in Vietnam right that moment. Now, Vietnam was winding down, but it wasn't over. Um, but, I, but outside that, I mean, I really don't really understand why they do it. I mean, what are they saying? It's like, it's, it's the um, national anthem, the reason why we have baseball and football and sports. I mean, is that, are they res is that responsible for it? I really don't see the need for it. But, so when he took the knee, I was kind of like, well, you know, I don't say the pledge either because the Lord says, take an oath to no one. And I don't, I don't sing the, uh, the national anthem, uh, you know, so it doesn't bother me as much, but I think, I mean, I'm at least respectful enough that I, I would not take a knee. I just stand there silently, but I, you know, I get it. But what, what happened with him and that whole scenario, I was saying, I was trying to say, what are you, what are you saying? Is this all? Is this all about racism? Or, or you know, I don't get it. It's almost like it got. It was it was run away with by all kinds of causes. So you know, as I look at that, I'm saying to myself, it's kind of interesting that we're supposed to be about freedom and such, and then when you have disagreement, you have you have unrest, you have fascism. And that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. And I mean, even with those riots, I mean, did you see anything strange about the riots they had with the brick? There was a lot of, the whole riots were strange. What they rioted about was strange. The impression that uh, this guy was, was murdered. He was, he was super stoned. And I, I think I saw pictures of him like with drugs in his mouth. Right. So I, I think the riots were very strange. They certainly didn't, benefit the people they were supposed to benefit, in my opinion. Maybe they benefited BLM, but I think the lower classes or whatever, the, the mom and pop shop owners pretty much got wiped out, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I never saw anything like that. And I really didn't believe when um, the people George were first Ford. telling. Well, I mean, that, that you saw pretty graphically. Um, and that was, I believe that was excessive. Now, yeah, okay, he had a record, that's true. But he was trying to turn his life around. And now you hear that the bill he uh, tried to pay uh, the cashier with was not, in fact, uh, a counterfeit. Yeah, and now you, you got you get a situation that really needs some explaining. Um, but otherwise, other than that, it's like there's all these signs now, you know, and in the NFL, you can put certain logos on your on the back of your shirt or in the end zones, and it's you know we are change, uh, Black Lives Matter, you know. And I'm not trying to make it a white black thing. It's just that um, sports, especially, has taken on a political edge, much more military um, supported, and I don't think that's um, a, you know coincidence at all. But I do think that what it does. Uh, unleash is kind of a nasty side of um, of 
of, of conduct among uh, groups and that's and it's fascist in sense and you know i was all red white and blue until things started to happen that i didn't understand and really nobody could explain it to me i mean something as simple when you were younger and i don't know if i said this to you the last time i was on about you know you see you know you, you're getting taught in a, like a civics or a, American uh, history, and you and you see, you know, you hear about these um, um, what are, what are those that are uh, lobbying? Yeah, right, lobby lobbyists. Yeah, so I'm saying to myself, that's bribery. <laughs> They're paying, right. you know, and I said to my teacher, it's like, why is that allowed? Any place else that would be bribery. And you get the like, well, you know, you have to understand, da, 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 da. right? So you know, you keep on going, and then that whole thing about voting is was like a, a joke. You know, why do we still have uh, the? Uh, I'm having a really good day. <laughs> why do we have? Uh, rep, uh, help me out here. Representative government representation. No, it's the uh, it's the uh, ones who make up the uh, laws, the legislature, legislators, uh, the uh, the electoral college. Right. Okay. So here we have the electoral college from the very beginning, and we're told. That's because while people were uneducated back then and, you know, they were separated uh, from voting places and, you know, strewn all over the country and uh, it was difficult for them to get their vote in, but they never left. And so I'm saying to myself, we're told that we, we vote for the president, but we really don't. Because if the electorate, not because the electorate goes the other way, um, then you then your vote didn't go, you know, didn't didn't count toward to, to whom you voted. So, and I mean, we had a situation like that. If uh, you, I don't know if you remember the Rutherford B. Hayes situation. There vaguely, can you remind me what happened with Rutherford B. Hayes? Hayes and um, Tilden were running in 76, 1876. Now, supposedly Tilden won straight out. And all of a sudden, there was all this machinations going on behind closed doors. And this is going to sound really familiar. They sent three contingents. The federal government sent three contingents to three states to do a ballot count. One was Louisiana. One was Florida. And I believe the other one was South Carolina. And they have been the three that were also the states involved in 1980. So what happened was John Garfield, who would succeed Hayes as president in only four years, was sent down to Louisiana and found that the vote was for Hayes. Now, what also was happening is that the South, which was just accepted back as, as peaceable states in the Union, all of a sudden started getting a little bit aroused. And the federal government was so concerned that they were preparing for a second civil war. 
So that, that was the sentiment at that time. Of course, that didn't happen. But then you take a look at 1980, when they, they, they pulled the chicanery in Florida, and then what, did it again in 1984 in uh, Ohio, all around electoral college. Do they take the states that they need, you know, the, the most amount of, uh, of votes for? So it's right. just a question of like, you know, and even this, I don't know, even this last one, somebody told me a story. You remember Victor Thorne? Yeah, yeah, I was looking through his stuff. I actually was looking at emails I sent him back in 2010. So yeah. I do remember. Yeah, Thorne had told me. Um, he said uh, that he was out in L.A. visiting a friend. Uh, and in this at this party was Obama. And his friend told him he's going, that's going to be the next president or whatever. He's going to be a president. Uh, and, you know, Thorne looks at him like, because remember now, a black had never been on, uh, in the president's office. And, and Thorne was like, why do you say that? He goes, because, I mean, he just, he, he's gone to school where he went, where he's supposed to have gone to school. He says all the right things. And he says he's got the confidence that says that, that he will run and will win the presidency. And sure enough, he did. So... I mean that I don't. I believe that story's true. Um, you know, Thorne didn't really engage in crap like that. You know, if, if it weren't the real thing. And then I started to realize, for the most part, the presidents are selected, right? Not elected. I mean, it's already taken care of, and they keep this Republican Democrat animosity going, just to deepen the situation and keep America more in a divide. And that's, you know, and that also goes back to what I was saying to you about um, this division and this fascism. You know, you, you're supposed to have freedom of speech, but when you really exercise it, uh, you don't, especially right. if, it, if it's unpopular. Right. Now, somebody said that, well, you know, the pro athletes have a right to exercise their freedom of speech. And I, my point was, fine, but there's a place for it. And to me, it wasn't athletics. I mean, I watch athletics to get away from all that stuff. And after, and after that situation, it's never really left. And um, to me, you know, I mean, I, I, I can live without the sports, but it certainly has changed them, I believe. And, um, you know, opened them up to uh, other outside influences that I don't really think belong in the game. So. Right. Were, were sports always this political is really the question. And I, my, my answer is no, certainly not in the NFL. No, um, I would say no. Uh, baseball got a little politicized, but it was more about, um, if you can divide these two, um, and that was uh, contracts. Uh, Andy, Mrs. Smith, and, Cl and uh, Clint Flood, Kirk Flood. Uh, Flood, St. Louis outfielder, uh, Messer Smith, at that time a Dodger pitcher. They both challenged the league, and they won. And um, and, and that opened up free agency, is why you have it today. And I don't know if you remember, there was a former pitcher for the Yankees who um, was an author and a sportscaster. His name is Jim Bowden. Bowden died a couple of years ago. 
Are you familiar with him at all? No, no, that name doesn't sound familiar at all. Well, <laughs> he was bathed in infamy for writing a kiss and tell book about the Yankees. Um, book called Ball Four. Um, painting Mickey Mantle, uh, not so much as <laughs> Jack Armstrong <laughs> and the Beaver Patrols. I think you can read between lines there underneath the stands. So anyway, Bouton was always uh, pressing it. And uh, he uh, left the major leagues. He wrote another couple of books. Uh, he uh, went back to the major leagues. And then when he came back the last time, when he really retired after playing for the Atlanta Braves, I wound up playing with him in a semi-pro league in Jersey. And um, I had complained to him about how uh, I thought it was really shoddy the way that the, uh, the Detroit Tigers treated Norm Cash, who was a longtime player for them, uh, and they had released him. And um, he said to him, listen, Norm Cash knows when it's over. It's a matter of business. And that's all it is in the end. You know, a lot of us, when we were young, and some of us even now play it as a sport, and that's fine. You know, the sport being picking up ground balls, you know, throwing strikes, hitting home runs. But it's a business outside of that. And I think you can see that expressly in this era with um, sabermetrics and such and the way that they uh, move around players. But he also said something to me, too, because I said, you know, isn't that a little too much money, though, that they're getting paid? And on the same token, Bounce said to me, he goes, listen, he goes, the owners have it. If the owners didn't have it, they wouldn't pay it. And so you saw just recently uh, a strike averted and probably the one that came down closest to closing the, uh, the game down, uh, which hasn't been for like about 16 years or so. So the thing is, it's again, uh, baseball got in the end, uh, not mo not more politicized, but certainly more uh, business centered, although the other right. sports are doing it too. Uh, basketball has had its moments. They had a, a famous um, fix with Connie Hawkins, who, who uh, continued with, with an admirable life. I mean, uh, he was a college player. He took money, shaved points, and uh, was caught. But, um, you know, there's a situation with, with, with some politi political uh, repercussions. Um, hockey, not really. You know, I mean, it's it's been pretty free of that kind of thing. And uh, I would say, uh, well, that covers them all. <laughs> but football, I mean, there is more. Basketball's got a little more social conscious too. Um, oh, I no doubt. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, it's kind of like the woke. Uh, the woke, you know, influences is much more so in sports than before, in general. Yeah, and and the thing is, to protest is fine, but you have to. I I, I wouldn't want a surgeon working on me to go into some screed about some political, you know. Um, right. problem that he has. I, I, I really wouldn't want that. It's, and it's the same thing. It's like, look, they, they can have their, their say, but there's platforms for them to do it. I mean, they, right. they, they can be on TV and uh, uh, they talk. They get their own website. Yeah, they can do whatever. So I, mean, I, I wish you were out. 
I mean, you come to live with it, but it's kind of dampened it a little bit because it gets disruptive at times. So, uh, I mean, and, and, and there's another thing too. Um, I don't know, do you want to say something? No, I was just going to say, I find it interesting that Kaepernick started becoming an activist as his career created, right? Well, so. it's true that he, he had had his best years. Uh, I think he had two losing seasons after his last winning season, and, and I think he only had one double win uh, season. And so the last three were falling off, and, and he got caught too with, with changing uh, coaches and such. And so it was, you know, kind of disruptive for him when you find out you don't fit in. But he also wasn't performing at the best, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he's down on one knee and, and life sucks. So that is true. Um, but I, you know, is there collusion against him? Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, these owners are not going to want to deal with somebody who's going to be a lightning rod for any kind of right. conjugal. Right. So, you know, and so in a way, I understand how they feel. But, you know, you know, Kaepernick's right, even though he didn't have that great a season going out, that didn't mean he was necessarily through. And then, the, you know, it's they, they put on a, a certain um, exhibition where uh, scouts from uh, all the teams can go down and watch him. And for the most part, you know, the sports wags felt that, that was pretty much just a show, uh, just like what we're going through with the uh, black, uh, black coaches, minority coaches uh, in the NFL being head coaches. Um, they had the Rooney rule, which was, you know, you have to interview a black or two or something like that. And so it is. And it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's all just for show. So there's, there's something going on there as well. Um, but again, uh, sports is not like it used to be. And it certainly is um, a force that can, can really uh, exacerbate things. Um, players do a lot of good things. There's no two ways about it. But also, you know, stuff comes out in sports which uh, didn't uh, come out before. Think about, well, look at all the transgenderism stuff. Like, that's just crazy. I mean, to me, that's crazy. Because those men, they're men competing against women. It's super political. And those yeah. men, like, I think 90% of those so-called trans men they still have their they have their genitalia, so they're just really just saying they're women. They're not actually. They haven't actually had surgery. Can you believe that? Uh, they're competing. Yeah. They're letting them letting them compete. Yeah, I, I do now. I mean, you know, anything goes. I don't even know if you know if you'll excuse the pun. They'll have a league of their own, but um, yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's a little yeah. Uh, but I also, I just wanted to mention one thing, too, as far as something I think went a long way to um, turning Americans a little bit fascist, and that is the reaction uh, to COVID. You know, it, I didn't get a vaccination. I didn't get COVID. But I almost got the feeling, uh, even in places where people weren't wearing masks, I would wear it just so I didn't have to hear about it. 
and I'm doing it to this day. Uh, you know, a lot of microbiologists say that was it was baloney that the masks are not going to give you any protection. That more or less what they were was um, kind of a, a a symbol of you could even call it um, I don't know, cap, uh, captivity or tyranny. Right, like if you put it on, you're being tyrannized or something. Like well, yeah, I mean, I I was the I was the last one of a group of men that I used to um, consort with, uh, and I didn't get it. And I was I was telling them about the shots, and they should at least look into it. But you know that that national. Um, patriotism sort of and, and what that, what I mean by that is that they believed everything they were told in school that's what it comes down right. to right you know right. so if, if I if I would start talking some re revisionist history to them I mean they would take it because they were they were decent guys but I could see how it, it wasn't going down so well <laughs> do you know anybody who got vaccine injured yeah, uh, I do. I do. Just one uh, or multiple? No, it was um, about three. Three, oh, three people. Well, that's that's in your search in your circle. That's actually quite a few. Well, no, they weren't in the circle. One was a, okay. uh, Yeah, one was like a um, my brother-in-law's sister, daughter, and you know, it was spread out. One, one was in Michigan, two in Pennsylvania. But what was interesting about all this, you know, now they politicize that whole thing with uh, uh, athletes getting uh, vaccinated. But although only a few didn't, I mean, for the last couple of months, these tickers at the bottom of uh, ESPN and stuff like that, there's not a day that goes by. It's getting a little less now where somebody fully vaccinated got it. All right. So, and then they say, well, you know, it, it, it isn't as severe. And they and these guys were like, uh, it was. So, I mean, the reason I didn't take the jab is because I feared the jab more than uh, uh, COVID. Yeah, me too. I didn't take the jab. But then again, you know, that created a whole split also when people getting a little hot about somebody not doing it, you know, saying, where's your patriotism and blah, blah, blah. You know, but that's also a big thing in sports. The jab or not to jab in sports was an issue in, in the NBA, tennis. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think part of it is the proximity in which a group of people may be, because um, one of the people I was telling you about that came down with COVID um, was not vaccinated. Uh, she was at a party, about twenty-two people, and. Uh, one had had COVID, um, was fully vaccinated, got COVID, and all the others got COVID as well. So uh, it, it isn't as efficacious as they make it seem to be, and, and that's mainly because it's a great money maker, and it'll be yeah, back. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna boost people till the end of time. Yeah, so I think that's really the intent. Oh, you need another boost. <clears throat> pay well, off Congress and then boost people. Yeah. I was listening to somebody, uh, uh, an author on uh, the internet. Um, he was a veterinarian and I forget what his shtick was, but uh, on, as an aside, he said, he goes, 
There's nothing like because I, I caution veterinarians for how for how many vaccines they um, ex, um, <clears throat> inject in a certain animal in a, in a certain period of time, and that's what I was always thinking about when I saw these uh, you know, the first uh, COVID vaccine come out, then the second and the third and a booster or whatever, and then was there a fourth now or something? And it's like they're going getting for four. And then, and then they want you to get flu and, and uh, shingles. It's like, you know, how much can a body take when you inject it with that much material? And, of course, the older you get, I mean, it's even more frightening. So, um, but this also becomes one of these things about being a good American. And it's like, right. you're right. Well, I mean, right. Orwell wrote a treatise on the difference between patriotism and nationalism. Would nationalism be more associated with Nazism and patriotism? It's like kind of like a, a good fascism. But they both belong with believing that your country's right in everything, you know, and, and not giving any thought that there might be something wrong in this situation and saying something about it. And, and in the old days, you know, you, you thought you could vote the problem out, but you find out that you really can't because it's all, I mean, if, even if there isn't um, a selected individual, say you're talking about legislation or something like that, it's like everything's so rigged. There's no, there's no way you can vote anybody good or anything good into government. They're going to do what they're going to do. And COVID-19 to me was the greatest example of government rolling over uh, right. for for uh, millionaire billionaires to make more uh, more billions and, uh, no doubt no doubt do you know that uh, Gates is totally tied in with fauci and that he's invested in all these drugs and stuff like yeah. remdesivir so them pushing 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 remdesivir in hospitals it's basically making gates money sick oh absolutely um without going on and on about this, but uh, there was a, a woman, retired military sergeant who lived in Florida. And she's, I still think her, uh, her, she's still on YouTube. And she was given an interview from New York and she took some uh, clandestine uh, conversations down between doctors and stuff while in the hospital and even on her own uh, conversations with uh, doctors and nurses. But the thing, what she came down with is she, she goes, they're killing people. She says, yeah. they're putting them on these, um, uh, what's what's the ones that- uh, The breathing tube or whatever, the, the, um, the ventilator? Yeah. Yeah. They're putting her on, they're putting them on vents and they're killing them. Sure. And, and in other places, they were they were saying in smaller hospitals that weren't public, they were they were um, uh, curing people with large doses of vitamin C, I believe D, and uh, one other um, element. I forget what it was, and um, and they were recovering. They had no problem. They didn't use events. Oh, that you know what it is it was hydro hydroxy. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, it was that was uh, that was the third one. 
and, and that and to to uh, hospital, you know, doctors said, yeah, we had no problems, but but um, the nurse goes to find that the reason why coma wouldn't allow um, hydroxy, what is it again? Hydroxychloroquine. All right, wouldn't let hydroxychloroquine in, uh, to be used is because he he paid for 30,000 vents and they were damn well going to use them. Right. So she even said there came a time everybody who came into the hospital, everybody who came in and was um, treated for anything was considered COVID. All right. So they considered, and I think they got a financial incentive from the government to put people on there. It's so sick. It's so sick. I know two people who died from remdesivir as well. Well, I, I don't. It's uh, it was Alex Stein's mother, and then it was another guest who I had. Um, I his just, brother uh, died. Jeez, I just got an email. I'll pass along to you because uh, I I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing. It's from Liam, who I used to have as a, a frequent guest. We used to call Liam. Right, I remember Liam, yeah. Our man from Europe. <laughs> and he had an article that said why the uh, the uh, the effects of uh, COVID um, mirrors uh, snake venom. I've heard that. Uh, yeah, from Wuhan, especially. But uh, anyway, it's it's... Yeah, the, I mean, the effect the effects of it um, are epithelial. It does something to your vein system. It's definitely, in my opinion, a bioweapon. Yeah. It's like an enhanced SARS thing, but it does something that's it's not necessarily like a, a respiratory thing. It's mis it's mislabeled as a respiratory when in an actual um, in actuality, it, it does something after it leaves your body. It does something to your circulatory system that needs to be treated. <clears throat> and they don't treat it properly. Well, so it emulates not getting oxygen. Yeah. Well, think back, because I, I thought about this so many times and told people about it. And, you know, gave them links to uh, the story online, a short story by Asimov called The Winnowing. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, you talked about that before. I remember that. Yeah, it was that. These, these suits came up to uh, the doctor, who was, I guess, an immunologist, and um, said they'd like um, some, basically some kind of poison that could be spread throughout the public, but not be seen as um, a deliberate spread, as if it were um, like a hit and miss uh, pandemic. And in this, uh, what he had to do is alter the lipogenes, I think it was, uh, in people. And what happened is some would survive, some would get sick and survive, and some would die. And so it, 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 was, it, was, it was gonna be made to look like it was a, um, like a, a, a grain plague, like a wheat plague or something like that. But when I looked at this COVID thing, I'm saying to myself, I'm not saying Asimov knew about it, but he might have had an inkling, just like you know the the access that Philip K. Dick had, right? You know, which showed in Blade Runner and all that. 
I mean, that they did they guess right in their futuristic work, or did they know it was coming? Good question. Really good question. They, I think they certainly guessed right. They may not have been of the generation where it happened, but they anticipated the, the future of a kind of new technocratic genocide or, or uh, well now look, look what's going is it going to uh, is it going to um uh defertilize uh a generation or more they don't know yet they don't know the consequences you could have basically a whole generation that won't be able to have children yeah and that's that's yeah. the thing too because you know Smiley Gates is a big depopulationist. Huge. He's been doing depop stuff all over the world. I got a question for you, Keith. Uh, do you think Orwell and the other author visionaries are just part of the predictive programming? Do you think that they're actually right, like you just said? I guess that's the question. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll take two of uh, foremost, I believe. And one is uh, Orwell and the other is Huxley. Now, with with Orwell, there's a book out there called, oh, man, Road to, Road to Airstrip One. I don't remember the author, but I tell you what, what was more interesting than the book, which was factual, was the, uh, the notes, the end notes. Holy mackerel. He had he had MI five and MI six um, coming and visiting him like every week. <laughs> wow. So, and the other thing is also okay. We're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Sorry, uh, sorry about that. The, uh, Huxley is another one that they both were in London at a time when a lot of this stuff was a major fair. Like around 1909, uh, you had um, Wells that was involved in this, right. uh, Darwin, uh, uh, Darwin's uh, nephew, who's named Francis Galt, that's like right. that. Galton, yeah. All right, and, um, and there was even a book that was published at that time that predicted world war three before there even was a world war one hmm. and it and it had it in a showdown between what they call the american empire the the asian empire and oceana something like that and this is written by robert u benson and i'm like how, how could he tell this stuff i mean was that a guess or was this stuff that was known to, to these people who might have been in some kind of group if you will and we're laying all this out so you see so you had europe being approached by the asian army which was china and the only one that could stand in uh, their way and protect europe was the united states and then it was um sir halford kinder mckinder who saw a third war, which he might have gotten off um, off uh, uh, Darwin, uh, rather, uh, uh, I always get the two names mixed up, Eric Blair, 
Right. So Eric Blair was Orwell's. Was Orwell right? So I so uh, because Benson had it in his book, like a, like a three way fight, and that's what um, Dar uh, that um, uh, Blair had in his as well. In Orwell's, so I think, see, Orwell and Huxley were telling us the the, the truth, um, but in different ways. I, I had somebody on once when Gordon was around uh, to, to uh, d debate Huxley and Orwell. And there's more. Yeah, you guys did a show. You guys did a show, uh, Huxley versus Orwell or something like that. That's right. That's right. And um, everybody seems to like, jeez, uh, 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 why am I having a brain? Seems to like, um, Orwell over Huxley? Yeah. Orwell over Huxley because Huxley has that very high, high kind of noted voice. You know, it, it comes off as being aristocracy where Orwell was more like a usual being, you know. So, but they both pretty much had the, the same idea of, of a world to come. And, um, uh, we, we certainly are seeing it. In fact, every time I watch the old uh, Star Trek episode when Shatner was in there and they had the Eloy, mm -hmm. they had two or three classes of people. Right. They're they did a thing on, on yeah, his, on H.G. Wells's time machine. They did a play on that, right? Eloy and Morgoths. I actually just talked about that in my last interview. The Eloy and Morlocks? Yeah. Yeah. Morlocks. I, I think I called them more logs or something. Morlocks, that's right. Morlocks, yeah. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Yeah, they were the ones who did all the wet work. And they fed on they fed on the Eloy, I believe. Right. Yeah. All right. That's not much different than it is now. Things have not changed. No, I, and I especially uh would uh, uh encourage folks to uh to take a look and see if they can get their hands on the road to airstrip one. Cause I tell you what, man, I, I could not put that book down. It was excellent. I mean, everybody knows Huxley's stuff, but this is, this is something on um, Orwell. And I'll, I'll send you the name. Well, if you do Google on that. I'll Google right now. I'll go to Amazon. Road to airstrip one. Road yeah. to airstrip one. Yeah. Um, it's, I believe it's Canadian. I can't remember his last name. I wanted to get him on, uh, but it didn't happen. So he still may be around. Let's see if it pops up. Ian Slater? That's it. Ian Slater. Let's see if I can pull this up. Stop screen. Not a very, I wouldn't say it's a super popular book, but it's it's there. I was just well, talking about these books, too. Like, you can't find them. They're always really expensive. All right, but don't forget, too, that there is archive.org. Archives has a lot of these, that's true. And they have a lot. I mean, you'll see them for sale everywhere, but they'll have them. And they're, thankfully, their collection is expanding. But um, if, if you get a chance, uh, take a look, throw a title in and see if it comes up, and you don't have to pay anything. So with Airstrip 1, that's it. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
but don't you think that the sports is a, like it's a distraction? And even some of these fights are the fights to distract people from maybe things that are more important. Do you ever think of that? Oh, well, you ever I mean, see it that way? They're definitely an attraction, uh, an attraction because if, if you can keep people all interested in, um, in sports and not taking a look around, um, yeah, w- without a doubt. That's what I mean. When it went entertainment, it, uh, it really was used more and more. And the commercials are also very telling. Um, if, if the, for people who don't like sports, they have politics because they they can watch everybody fighting MSN, uh, was it MSNBC and and the CNN? What a laugh! Yeah, so, joke, total joke. Yes. Yeah, I think it's just part of the, it's actually a distraction within a distraction. So the all the assumed racism or whatever <coughs> is a distraction within a distraction. And I think Kaepernick's arguments fall flat. Like. Half of the NFL is black, so it's it's the opposite. It's actually, if you look at this population, equal population, it's unequal towards white people or whatever whatever the terms are these days, non African Americans. Well, <laughs> NBA too. I want equity in the NBA. Well, I so mean, it's, yeah, well, it's the same thing with, with crime. I mean, but you know, that's another whole thing. I mean, there's what. Yeah. There's, 33% of Americans are black and, and black. I think the African-American population of the United States is 14 or 15%. That, that little, huh? Yeah, that little. It's not that much. And there's uh, Asians and other, but I mean, now that's just the way they've lumped it together. They just have whites as being this one big blob. When they used to have kind of broken down by ethnicity, but now everybody's just white and it's very curious. Well, I'm sure you notice this too. I guess this is as some kind of equity or a reach out to uh, level the playing field. I mean, there ain't too many whites in the commercials anymore. <laughs> no, there's none. I want equity in commercials too. I want equity in the NBA and in commercials. 13% of the po- or 15% of the population is African American descent. There should only be 15% in the ads, period. I want to see well, some more. I want to see some more Arabic people, Asian people, different ethnicities of whites. I want to. I want to see the full white spectrum broken up into different white, so-called white ethnicities. I don't want. Well, to, I don't want to be called white. I want to be know, called I, multi-ethnic. I'm actually multi-ethnic, so that's what I'd like to be called. <laughs> Tiger Williams said that, like, like he was eleven things. And the blacks got down on him for saying he wasn't, you know. Yeah, Yeah, well, he's not really. I think his mom is is like from Thailand. And his dad isn't. I think his dad is Native American. He's part Native American. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, the thing about this is is that it's it's a divider. And uh, we're we're in very dangerous times. And, you know, economically, and if we're going to have another war, um, it's, it's going to be a real mess. As much as we say, you know, we should all be div- um, united and such. Look, I mean, I'm a, a child from the late 60s. I believed it. I mean, I heard it. And then I saw it fade away. And now it's come around again. And it's going to fade away again because the plan is not for that to happen. So, um, you know, truthfully, you know, I said this before. It's it's been it, 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 Jesus Christ is the only way. That's all there is to it. Because uh, 
but it, it's going to be rough and uh, and you know it's we're not going to duck <laughs> any of this stuff yeah. so God, no these are perilous times christ is the answer no question yeah. and i feel especially for the children you know because they, they're going to be right smack dab in it um yeah. I, yeah, it's a disaster i'll end by just saying that um one thing that always stuck with me there was a series called victory at, uh, victory at war anyways victory in war, at war um and it uh it was all black and white footage that's just disappeared really gut-wrenching stuff and I just remember one shot of, of a kid, his hair all tussled, had his, you know, radio overcoat on him, and he's standing in front of a pile of rubble. And uh, I'm saying to myself, and I was like, yeah, I was like seven or eight at the time. And I was saying to myself, can you imagine living in Berlin when these guys come goose-stepping into town? I mean, they're not here to help. I just, I just felt so bad because that this is all they're going to know, and God knows if they if they ever did survive it. So, right. Think about how many innocent people, civilians, got caught up in that that political movement, and people who didn't want it, and people who were lied to, and people who were propagandized. So, oh yeah, I mean, so that's a shame. The collateral damage was far from collateral. I mean. The, right. the, the civilian war dead, you should go through it. You can find it on Wikipedia. It's quite staggering. Millions, and millions it, and millions and millions and millions, yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me, we did that one show about Hitler and Crowley with Larry the Contractor. Yeah, so that's up on mm -hmm. my site too. So it's right. Yeah. That was 10 years ago almost probably. <clears throat> um, yeah. yeah, but that's a great way. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up, Keith? No, that's it. Sorry for not being on my A game, but I appreciate it. It's all good. It's all, you know what? It's always great to have you. It's really a delight. And I'm, I have that 600 episodes of Visigoth's work really at the very beginning for one of the earliest interviewers, him and, and Derek Gilbert. Uh, you know, so people take advantage of going to look at those. It's under the Visigoth archives. You can find it on any podcast distributor, iTunes. Just type in the Visigoth archives and go get uh, get a listen. So, Visigoth, thanks so much for your time. All right, thanks a lot, William. Take care. All right, cheers. You too. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there.